Welcome to the Blind Broadcaster Pod. We talk to the voice of the Clemson Tigers, Don Munson. We talk about broadcasting, faith, and other things. If you like this and all other interviews, please rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can email me with suggestions or drop me a line on how we can improve the show at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com on social media, a.k.a. Twitter, at king underscore tsb. And if you'd like to try to find me on Facebook and send me a friend request, the email address that I gave at the top of this intro is your best option. When did you know broadcasting was for you? Well, that goes back a while. <laughs> I got my start. I actually went to uh, I went to school at Appalachian State University in Boone, mm-hmm. North Carolina. Oh, I know. I grad- I've heard of that place. Yep, I graduated from there in uh, 1984. Really? And while I was in school, uh, <laughs> I got involved with our student radio station. That was my sophomore year, and quickly fell in love with. Um, the sports side of it, and that was how I got into it. So I started, you know, on the school radio station. We did, um, we did, you know, football games. We did baseball games, basketball games, soccer games, volleyball, all that kind of stuff on radio. And it was all student run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was that was how I got my my foray into it. And then my first professional job was actually after I graduated in 1984. Uh, got my first professional job with a radio station there in Boone, North Carolina, and, and away I went. So for you, uh, at your high school, there was no opportunities for high, doing high school games, or did you get a chance to do Yeah, I, like you know, I, I wasn't, I, I, in, in high school, I was involved, uh, that we didn't have any kind of opportunities at our high school at, at those times. Now, you got to remember, this is, now we're going back to, to 1970s now, when you're talking yeah. about my high school days. Yep. So nowhere near like it is it is today. Uh, I was very involved though in drama. Uh, you know, I uh, was very involved in that, and I I think that being really honest with you, that a lot of that from my high school days and even college days, uh, I was involved in drama even in college, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I think that that really that really did help me as far as a broadcaster. So how much of your drama that you did in high school? Do you still use today in broadcasting, or do you use much of it at all? Oh, there's a lot. Oh, yeah, there's still a lot of that stuff that I use, uh, particularly more, uh, particularly from high school. My high school drama teacher was a guy named Tom Orr. I went to Hendersonville High School in Hendersonville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and there's a, still a lot of that stuff that from those days that I still use today, as far as voice and diction and trying to just get things warmed up um, and going. Uh, and so there's a lot of that stuff that I use still today. So for you, when you got the first job after college, what were your roles or how many roles did you have to fill at that station? Well, my, my first job out of, out of college, uh, was, well, like I said, was with that radio station in Boone, North Carolina. So I was mm-hmm. their sports director. Yep. I was also on air. I had an on air shift that I did every day. That was from uh, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, then I would 
I got to have a couple hours for lunch. I got a two hour lunch break and we'd come back at three and then do production from three to six. And so that was, that was my day, Monday through Friday. Then I was calling the uh, local high school games for football and basketball. We didn't do any baseball, but for football and basketball. Right. Then I also was involved, obviously, with Appalachian State University doing their basketball games at first. That was in the, in the winter of, of 84. And then uh, because of that work with basketball, they started allowing me to do the football games in 85. And uh, so uh, that, was, that was how all it kind of came about for me. But it was, it was a great learning ground. Believe me, there was, even as I was doing it, uh, I didn't always necessarily know exactly what I was doing or how it should be done, mm -hmm. but uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and obviously has worked to a point where it, now, and that's the other thing. It took me, it took me 30 years to get to where I am today. And I hold right now, I think maybe the best job in all the college sports, to be honest with you. Uh, and it, but it took me 30 years to get here. You know, that, that's the other thing is that, people that are listening to this, particularly young broadcasters, I think that young broadcasters sometimes think, well, you know, I just want to go out and grasp, grasp the golden ring right away. Well, it doesn't work that way. You've got to, you got to work your way up the ranks. Exactly. You always have, you always have to pay your dues somehow, somewhat. That, do, that doesn't change. No, that, that will never change. And, and understand that in particularly today, that eyes are always on you. Somebody's yes, always watching. That's, that's how I got my, my position here at Clemson, that was exactly how I didn't apply for the, for the job at Clemson. Uh, somebody actually heard me back in the, back in the early nineties, asked me to come work for the Clemson network. And my, my first year with the Clemson radio network was in 94. And, but I, I just, it was just because somebody heard me doing a broadcast mm -hmm. that was running the Clemson network in 93. And they actually called me with, and asked me if I would be interested in coming to work for Clemson. And so that's how I got involved with Clemson back in back in 1994. Which means you got to work with the legendary and late great and gone way too soon, Jim Phillips. Absolutely, Jim was Jim was awesome. I mean, he he forever will be the voice of the Tigers. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's there's no doubt about that. Obviously, he had 33 years behind the microphone, and he was also kind of during the golden age of of radio you know, from mm -hmm. that time. You know, back in those days, back when he. He started in 1968 at Clemson. Prior to that, he was at Youngstown uh, and was, was doing play-by-play -play there. He answered a blind, uh, what they used to call a blind box ad uh, <laughs> for the job. And he saw it in a, in a trade journal, uh, sent in his application, his resume. And in 1968, he became the voice of, of, Clemson, of Clemson and also the sports director at a television station in, in Greenville, South Carolina, WFPC. But all that was through a, what they called a blind box ad. Uh, so he didn't even know what he was applying for or where he was applying. Uh, he just knew it was something that he was interested in. And, and then obviously um, served in that role until, until 2003 uh, when, he, uh, when he passed away. I was thinking about this statement, I don't know, maybe last night or maybe last little while. But you think sometimes the reason why a lot of small colleges fail is because they when they move up to a different conference that they forget who they were that they don't stick to what they know you can adjust the outside stuff but you can't change what got you to where you were well I, that that may be true for for some college i think that 
no matter who you are. And I don't care if you're a, if you're a large institution uh, or if you're a one man shop, you have to understand what your culture is and what you, what you, what you want your culture to be. And you better, you better understand that. And you don't, uh, usually you don't change that culture because usually that culture, uh, if it's successful is going to carry you forward. That's, that's certainly one of the things that we have found, uh, that I've, that I have found in my own life to be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that, one of the reasons that Clemson has been so successful, particularly in football now under Davo Sweeney is that Davo Sweeney did come in and he changed the culture uh, at Clemson. Uh, there was a certain culture that was in place, but Davo Sweeney just willed his culture into being uh, here at Clemson. And it changed not just the football program, but it had ramifications that ran all through the athletic department, all through the university and dare I say, through this entire state, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And it all became because of one man's vision, one man's plan, one man's plan of action, mm -hmm. and then one man's principles to, to carry it through to where it is now. Sounds like you must be listening to John Maxwell because I am a diehard Maxwell guy. And he talks about that quite often. You better have a plan. Oh, you better have better. a plan and you better know how to go about carrying out that plan. Uh, and then... You know what? But sometimes inside that plan, you have to make adjustments and you've sure. got to you, you got to make, you know, you got to weave and bob a little bit uh, to, to use a boxing analogy and, and understand, you know, exactly where you're going. But then once you have that culture in place and once you become successful, you have to be extremely protective of that culture. Make sure that the, the people that are around you, uh, that you are hiring, that they share those those same attitudes and those same beliefs or at least better be able to adopt those same attitudes and those same beliefs, because if you can't, then they're not going to be with you long. What ideas when you came, went to, got to Clemson and you started working under Jim Phillips, do you feel like you still use today or how much do you have now since you are the lead guy with the broadcasting, do you feel like you want to actually create as a template for the broadcast in the future? Well, you know, as far as uh, mentoring under Jim, I would say that, yeah, he definitely had an effect upon me. And there's some things, uh, you know, through his, through his wisdom uh, that I still use to this day. I think that, that all of us, when we go into a broadcast, uh, every broadcast, particularly in radio, because radio is a totally different beast than television. Mm -hmm. I mean, radio is a totally different beast. Uh, than television, but particularly in radio, and um, my wife will probably tell you this, is that I kind, of, I kind of have a formula for how I do broadcasts, sure. uh, and I think the people that work with you with me will tell you the same thing, that I have a formula, and that formula works across all sports that I found. It, it's it, the same formula that I use in football, is the same formula that I use in basketball, is the same formula that I use when I'm calling baseball or softball or soccer or whatever, there is that same formula that I use to get across what I want. Now that, that is different for every broadcaster. All right. Every broadcaster is not going to be the same. I am of the belief, particularly in radio, mm -hmm. I am of the belief that the game itself is the story. I use that line all the time. Now, you're going to come in prepared for every you know, you try to come in prepared for every nuance and, every, you know, every little twist and turn. But you can only, but you, 
there's only so much of that that you can anticipate about what is going to happen in a game. There are certain games where you're going into that you've got to figure, uh, you know what, this has, this has the propensity to be a blowout situation. So how are you going to handle that later in the game when a certain team is up 30 or 40 points and you're still trying to keep the attention of your audience? How do you, how do you prepare for that? There's a, there's a certain way that you can go about doing that. But also in those instances, you get into a situation where, you know what, it didn't turn into a blowout at all. and turn, Instead, it turned into this white knuckler of a game that everybody is hanging on the edge of their seat. How do you handle that situation mm-hmm. as well? And I think there are certain ways that you go about for, for preparation uh, for that. And, and I also believe that, that in, at least in my broadcast, and if you listen to me, I'm very much what I call a nuts and bolts kind of guy. I like to tell you how much time is left, what the score is, where the ball is, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Who is on the field or on the court or, or that kind of stuff. That, that is all I think is, is very much as you try to explain the picture of, of what, you, what the formations are, you know, what, what's going on are they in basketball. Are they in a man-to-man defense? Or are they in a zone defense? If they're in a zone defense, is it a 1-3-1? Is it a 3-2? Is it a 2-1-2? You know, exactly what is it? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you got to explain all of that. You don't have to do that on television because obviously, you know, as they say, a picture says a thousand words. Uh, but that's sometimes what gets me – uh, a little exasperated at television now is that they seem that they're talking about anything but the game. Uh, and that drives me a little crazy to be perfectly honest with you. Agreed. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, but that's, that's just the way that I go about it. And it, and just because that's the way that I go about it doesn't mean it's the perfect way because everybody, everybody has their own way of, of which they want to do things. That was perfect because I couldn't agree with you more. I listen to a lot of these broadcasts, and I'm like, okay, where did the where did the basic fundamentals of radio broadcast go? It's like nowadays everybody's trying to make a radio broadcast into a TV broadcast. Yeah, we have HD radio, but you still have to tell what the score is, what the down distance is, where the ball is, or if you're on the floor, exactly. And it drives me crazy when I listen to the broadcast. And they're not giving me the basic nuts and bolts. So I'm like, where did your basic broadcast fundamentals go? Well, I always have to I always have to critique myself on that. I usually go back and I will listen to to every broadcast that I've done uh, after the after the fact. Usually a day after the fact, I'll go back and and listen to it. And I'll sit there and write myself notes. Then I also have some people around the country that I send segments of my broadcast to. Intermeet, you know, I don't do it every every week, but maybe two or three times a year, I'll send them something and say, hey, listen to this. I want you to critique it, and I expect you to critique it. You know, I, that, that means that there are going to be sometimes there's going to be some harsh things that they have to say. That's fine. That's, that's, aptly, that's perfectly fine. Matter of fact, that's what I want. That's what I tell them. Um, you know, so have other people listen to it as well just, just to make sure that you are – are doing and I listen to the fan base as well. Great story that I have from uh, I started doing Clemson baseball when Jim passed away in in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, he passed away in the football season, so my first baseball season of calling Clemson baseball was in 2004. And I will never forget. I had a gentleman come up to me and he said, "You know, when a guy is leading from second base, you have a tendency to say 
that he's out at second base. He said, that drives me crazy listening to the radio because I think he's out in some way. You know, you should say he takes his lead from second base. And I, I looked at him, I said, you know what? You're exactly right. So I incorporated that into my broadcast. I had another guy, one of the guys that I bounce, uh, that I actually send stuff to, a guy named Dave Cohen, who was a former voice of the New York Mets. I think he worked with the Yankees as well. Uh, he's retired now. Well, actually, I guess he's now retired and living in Atlanta. But Dave was a, was a big help to me. And one of the things that Dave told me right away in listening to me, he says, listen, don't ever say Tigers when you're doing Clemson. He said, because there's a thousand Tigers. And if somebody is just tuning in who does not know what they're listening to, uh, and you say Tigers, they have no idea what you're talking about. But if you say Clemson, there's only one Clemson. And if you say, you know, all right, well, Clemson has the ball, blah, blah, blah. And so from, from that point on, I saw, I saw the trees that were in the forest, and I understood exactly what he was saying. Because from here that point on, I never refer to it as Tigers versus Fighting Irish. It's always Clemson and Notre Dame. Notre Dame has the ball. Clemson has the ball. The ball is at the Notre Dame 38. The ball is at the Clemson 27-yard line. And I do that now in every game, uh, whether it be, you know, South Carolina or Georgia Tech, but you will never hear me use a nickname for a school. I always say the school name just because if people is somebody is tuning in, I want them to understand who's playing, what's going on, and from that standpoint. And I think it just makes so much sense. You've been to the playoffs for more than one occasion now. You've gotten – you know, this sweet taste of success and the bitter taste of defeat this past season. Do you feel like all those games and you've made the college football playoff, I know you call it the same way, but do you think maybe that when you've done games like that, there was something a little extra to those? Oh, I, th- I don't think there's, as, as Coach Sweeney says, likes to say, there's, there's extra juice in certain games. I mean, don't you go about preparing the same way for every game. Sure. But if you don't think that there's extra juice in games, you're just kidding yourself. Absolutely. There are. I mean, throughout the regular season, uh, you find, you know, certain games just have a little bit more oomph to them. And certainly once you get into playing for, uh, you know, a, a conference championship game, or if you're lucky enough and fortunate enough the way that I have been, uh, I've now called 10 playoff games. Uh, and I mean, I, I kind of shake my head at, at even saying that, but if you don't think that those have extra oomph to them, then you're just absolutely kidding yourself. Um, and particularly when you get the national championship games, I've had the pleasure now of calling four national championship games, one, two lost two. Um, but you know, it, I mean, it's, there is, there's, there's a different walk that you have. There's a different feel in the morning when you wake up and it's a national championship game. There's a different feel after it's all over as well, win or lose. Uh, there's just a different feel to it. And the memories that you, that you carry from that, absolutely there are, there are games that, that carry a little bit more uh, than others, even though you try to make every game feel like that. But let's be honest, every game doesn't feel like that. What was the feeling after the LSU game and you just sat back? And you probably saw probably one of the best quarterbacks in college football and Joe Burrow. What was your overall assessment of him after that particular game when you got back, when you were able to 
you know, come down off the high of calling a championship game, even though your team that you're employed with did not get the championship ring this time? Well, I guess that maybe the first thing uh, that popped in my mind is that, one, you you tip your cap to LSU. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they were really, 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 really good. I mean, yes, just unbelievably, uh, unbelievable. And on, not just on one side of the ball, on both sides of the ball. I mean, they were mm-hmm. really good. Then, obviously, from a Clemson standpoint, and I understand it, you know, you, you got to understand, I'm going to see things through orange-colored glasses, so I'm going to see stuff through Clemson. There were opportunities that Clemson had that they let get away from them, particularly early on in that contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had opportunities that they just let get away from, uh, get away from them. But, you know, but afterwards, I, you know, the, the biggest thing that, that I thought uh, and that I heard a lot of people talk about was, you know, Clemson's going to be back. I mean, that, that was one of the first things that I thought when I got back, uh, got back in the car, was we were heading back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. I may have even said it to, uh, to the folks that were with me was, you know what, we're going to be back. We're, you know, just because we lost this time around, but we have an opportunity to be, be- even better in the coming years. Uh, Coach Sweeney always says that. The best is yet to come. The, the best has not happened yet for Clemson football. The best is yet to come. And he's made me a believer uh, in that. So I firmly believe that if we're fortunate to have, to have a college football season this coming year, and hopefully we are. Hopefully. Uh, but if we do, I expect Clemson to be right back there in the playoffs again. Then they'll have to earn their way uh, to, a, to a national championship game. They'll have to earn their way to the playoffs, first and foremost. That's what the regular season is all about now. And one of the reasons that I love the – the playoff format as it currently exists with the four teams, every game is important. Every game, in essence, is a playoff game as you work your way through. Uh, and uh, particularly for probably maybe for Clemson, just because the ACC, let's be very honest, again, is, has maybe struggled a little bit. So Clemson sure. probably does have the need to go undefeated uh, and go through unblemished in a regular season and then win a conference championship to, to make it. But, but that's all part of the fun. That's all part of the thrill and the excitement of showing up each and every game and, and broadcasting these things from a football standpoint. Let's go to some college baseball a little bit. When you started broadcasting in 2004, did you ever dream that you'd go to a whole bunch of NCAA region play, super regionals, and the College World Series like you've been blessed to do? Yeah, I uh, – well, I guess when I showed up and started was being part of Clemson and in 95 is when I came on full-time with the network and actually became the operations manager for uh, uh, the network and was one of their on-air people. So starting really in 95, I was producing games uh, at that time, baseball games for Jim and a guy named Bob Mahoney, who's, who's still my uh, color analyst on, on baseball games right now. So was working with Jim and Bob even back then in 90, in 95. Right. And obviously, you know, Clemson – Back in those was a perennial top 10, uh, you know, baseball team. Fortunate enough to go to a World Series in 2006 and then again in, in 2010. Uh, and to be honest with me, those, those are World Series games. If you can make it to Omaha, to me, that's the best event that college sports has is the, the College World Series. Particularly when you're out there and all eight teams are there that first weekend of play. Yep. And it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's, it is just phenomenal. Now, this was an old Rosenblatt, so I've not been in the new stadium yet. Guys in my profession that I'm, that I'm, have talked to and friends with, they say there's not quite the new, the, the same feel 
that is in the new stadium as there was in the old Rosenblatt uh, stadium. And, and that's probably, it's probably a little bit more corporate, which you understand. I mean, I understand that, uh, for, you know, they got to pay for this. Uh, so I, I kind of understand that, but Rosenblatt had a feel to it that was just unbelievable. And, um, that's, to me, that's the best thing that can happen to me in June is, is to tell me that I'm, that I get to go to Omaha and go <laughs> broadcast games. I, I love going there. What are your best and worst favorite broadcast locations? My best and worst. Whew. <laughs> um, you know, I, if you. Besides you know, Clemson. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I want, obviously the atmosphere that's in Clemson is, is unlike anything else. No kidding. Uh, but, you know, inside, I would tell you, if you were to take the inside, I kind of like, I, I kind of like the smaller stadiums, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. uh, because I think the smaller stadiums, usually people are, are more on top of you mm-hmm. uh, and you get a little bit better of a feel. Sure. Um, you know, it may surprise you, but like doing a game at Boston College, usually when Clemson shows up to Boston College, it's a sellout. All right. That's that's the way that it has been since I've been doing the games, at least, is that every time we've gone there, that it's been a sellout. I think that that both universities and both fan bases have kind have embraced the contest. You know, it's kind of a city mouse versus country mouse is how one person has uh, has explained it. And so there's there's a there's a really good feel when you go up to Boston College. And I love being their stadium and on my broadcast point is a great broadcast point, uh, you know, from, from that standpoint. Uh, now you talk about Wake Forest is that way. Wake Forest has got great broadcast facilities. And again, when Clemson travels to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, it's usually a sellout, uh, you know, and there will be as many Clemson fans there as there will be Wake Forest fans. And, and there are times when it turns into, uh, actually maybe at times it turns into a Clemson home game, to be perfectly honest with you, because of the number of fans. Uh, that are in there. I think that uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte is a great place uh, to, to do a game. Uh, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing the, the games uh, from there. Um, you know, and then you go on a, on a bigger scale and, you know, uh, the Superdome is the Superdome. It's not a great place to do a broadcast <coughs> from because you're so high up there and so far away mm-hmm. uh, from, from uh, seeing, seeing things, but it is the Superdome and you think at least from my ilk and, and being born in 1962, appreciate well all that has happened in that building mm-hmm. uh, and the history uh, of that building. Um, you know, obviously, if you were if you were to ask me the one place that I want to get to, the one place that I want to get to is the Rose Bowl. I mean, I want to I want an opportunity to to go and do a game uh, from the Rose Bowl. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, and in this this coming year, actually, again, if we're fortunate enough to have college football. And mm-hmm. Clemson is fortunate enough to make the playoffs. Rose well, obviously, Bowl. the Rose Bowl is one of the sites. Uh, and so uh, you just have to depend upon what the matchup is. But it will either be there or back in the uh, uh, back to the Superdome uh, in, in New Orleans are the two playoff sites this year, then on to the national championship game in Miami. Uh, yeah, if but, you are somehow lucky to get back to Pasadena, California, and the Rose Bowl, you know what broadcast center you'll be sitting in, right? Uh, well, I don't know what booth I will be in, but obviously the broadcast center that, that is in there, uh, you know, my, when I think of any, I'm, I'm of the open, I think of Rose Bowls, I think of Keith Jackson. Ding. Uh, yeah. So Love that guy. Yeah. And well, he was, he was my guy. He and Brent Musburger were both my guys, uh, when I was in high school and 
um, and college, and then they they were my guys. Uh, I've had I've had to, uh, been very very fortunate to establish a friendship now with Brent Musburger, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously did not unfortunately did not meet Keith, uh, but would have loved to have met I'd love to have met Keith Jackson. He's 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 the god uh, as far as that's concerned. Who were your favorite broadcasters then, and who are your favorite broadcasters now, radio and TV wise? Well, the ones that had the most influence on me, I, I grew up in Western North Carolina, a little town mm-hmm. called Montree, but outside of Asheville, uh, North Carolina. So, uh, you know, back in the day, and I had a had an old uh, tube uh, AM FM radio that was in my bedroom. It had that glow to it, uh, you know, when you would turn it on uh, at night. So I could pick up just about anything. But, uh, you know, from my standpoint, uh, I have to understand at the age of, of nine and ten is when – North Carolina State was big with um, with David Thompson, all right? So that was 19, 1973, 72, right. 73, 74 is when they're hitting their stride, obviously winning the national championship in 74. So Gary Dornberg and Wally Osley were the tandem that were, that were at NC State at that time. Uh, John Ward is certainly over at Tennessee. I can mm-hmm. listen to the Tennessee games. But then, you know, during baseball season, I was born in Atlanta in 62. So I would make sure to tune into the, into the Braves games. So obviously, uh, you know, that whole Braves broadcast team that was back in the Legend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely. Just, just great guys uh, to, to be able to listen to. But then I could also pick up Jack Buck on KMOX out of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and not only during baseball season, but then listen to hockey games, as, you know, as well out of, out of St. Louis. I actually, when I was six and a half, we moved to Canada and lived right outside of Toronto, a little town called Guelph. So at the age of six and a half, and all of a sudden it's 19, late 1968, 69, you move to Canada, you become a hockey fan. You learn how to skate, you pick up, you pick up a stick, learn how to handle a puck. And I became a big Boston Bruin fan because Bobby Orr was at his height at those days. But, you know, you could, I got the Canadian games, I got uh, the Maple Leaf games and all that. So you just, you learn all that stuff, but all those guys uh, were were certainly of influence. Bob Harris, uh, the legendary voice at Duke, uh, was a big influence on me. Obviously, Woody Durham at North mm-hmm. Carolina had a big influence on me. His his son now Wes is is one of my uh, one of my good friends in the business, uh, and a guy that uh, I will bounce stuff off of uh, quite frequently. And um, you know, Gary Hahn, I think at NC State does a great job. Stan Cotton at at Wake Forest, yep. uh, does a great job. Gene Deckerhoff is he's in and of certainly at Florida State. Uh, you know, and Gene's a great friend uh, and somebody that I can that I can do things uh, do things with. So uh, I'm very very blessed here in, inside. The, Johnny Holiday, I was, I, and I should mention Johnny Holiday at, at Maryland. Uh, Johnny Holiday was very important to me uh, when I first took the job uh, here at Clemson, and uh, was was very good to me as a matter of fact when I took the job uh here at Clemson and and when Maryland left the league uh Johnny Holiday is a guy that I miss seeing as much as anybody uh, mm. on on a regular basis what about Johnny when you and Maryland when Clemson took on Maryland and now that you don't see each other as often what pieces of advice what things did he give you that you still use to this day besides Jim Phillips? Would you, would you consider him a second father figure in the broadcasting world to you? Uh, 
uh, you know, I don't always consider him a, a father figure, but I can I can always tell you one of the things that that Johnny, uh, one of the things that he did for me was, um, and I probably already had this, but he just kind of reinforced it was uh, the belief in yourself and the belief in in what you were doing, uh, but also the belief in making yourself better. I mean, he was he was one of the guys that really got me when I was doing broadcast. It, hey, go back and listen to yourself, critique yourself, listen to it. Um, you know, Johnny is a guy that I could send, uh, could send some, some stuff to, and he would critique me from, uh, from that standpoint. But, um, you know, I don't know that people understand, uh, the history of, of Johnny Holiday. Johnny Holiday was Casey Kasem before there was Casey Kasem. Mm-hmm. He, he's in the rock and roll hall of fame. Johnny Holiday may be the only sports guy who I know is in the rock and roll hall of fame. Exactly. Uh, As a DJ. He had a, he had a a coast-to-coast radio show back in the 50s and 60s, and uh, he was the guy uh, from from that standpoint, you know, spinning hits. Uh, and, the, and then, obviously, uh, was a longtime radio voice for ABC Sports, uh, and, you know, has covered the Olympics, and, you know, obviously what he does now at, at Maryland, he's 81 years old, and he's still going strong. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that what gives me hope for the future right there. I'm 58 right now, and I, I've, I've kiddingly told my wife we we scheduled a series with Oklahoma in football and that'll take place in 35 and 36. That's how far in advance it is. I'll be uh, 70. I'll be in my early to mid 70s by that time. And I kind of mm-hmm. told her, I, if I make it there, I'll consider it a success. Uh, I'll, con- I'll consider that as now I found out, though, that we we also have a, no- a game with Notre Dame and in 2037 and so that now is my goal is to make sure i'm still behind the mic for that notre dame game oh jeez why is it that you know the schedules have to be in advance even though i kind of have an idea why but what's your thought on it well i think that major universities in particular that uh want to do that so uh they can have things locked down uh, because it's to be honest with you it's difficult scheduling game i think that people think that it's easy to schedule games and it's anything but it is very difficult scheduling games and making sure that you have a a schedule that is balanced uh that that is out there as well i mean coaches obviously have a big influence on their schedule but there's the you know if you're a member of the acc right now we're only playing eight conference games my guess is at some point of time that's going to stretch to nine conference games mm-hmm. and all right and then if you're still playing a 12 game schedule that means you're only got three games out of schedule that you can still schedule. Clemson's always going to play South Carolina, so there's one. Now you've only got two. So how do you go about making sure that you're entertaining the home fans and keeping them interested? Because it's still about selling tickets. It's still about putting bodies in stadiums. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you got to make sure that that your schedule is is one that is going to draw fans to purchase tickets. Okay, let's backtrack a little bit. What was the reason you and your family moved to Canada, and how long were you in Canada? <laughs> well, uh, my dad uh, was a Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. We were living in Atlanta at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, he was actually working uh, with a, a gentleman by the name of Manfred Gutsky, and they did a, a radio program called The Bible for You. So he wasn't didn't have a church that time, but was, was working for uh, Mr. Gutsky, Reverend Gutsky, and so but he wanted to go get his master's degree. And there was a certain professor that he knew that he would wanted to study under and get mm-hmm. his master's degree. And he happened to be at the University of Guelph in Guelph, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So 
we pulled up stakes out of Atlanta, Georgia, and moved to Guelph, Ontario, which is about 60 miles almost due west of Toronto. Whoa. And you want to talk about culture shock now. You're going from 1968 Atlanta uh, to, to, to Guelph, Ontario, a kid that has never seen snow to now a kid that's getting 120 inches of snow a year. Uh, but it was like a winter wonderland as a, as a child. It was awesome. I mean, I loved everything about it. My mother is from Montana. So uh, she knew how to ski, she knew how to ice skate and all that kind of stuff. So she quickly put that into my sister and myself. And uh, we just had a blast. I mean, it was, it was a great three and a half years uh, there, in, there in Canada, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. And, uh, I, you know, for me, very formative years. And it taught me the love of sports. Uh, it gave me the exposure to sports that I probably never would have had the exposure to or to other sports. At that time, my parents were big baseball fans. So the, obviously when the Braves moved to Atlanta, they were taking me to Braves games all the time. So baseball became instilled in me. But all of a sudden now here I'm exposed to, to hockey and speed skating and, uh, you know, cross-country skiing and downhill skiing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I know you just had a kid graduate from college not too long ago. And basically, I think where you're working at, if my math is correct. So as a dad and as a play-by-play -play voice, how does it make you feel that your daughter graduated from college and now what she's going to become in her lifetime? Well, I, I, my daughter, unfortunately, has not graduated from college. And what, which ah. maybe you all, what people don't know about me is I actually have a special needs daughter. Ah, my okay. daughter is 28. She's oh. 28. She has both muscular dystrophy, which was birth onset. Mm. And then when she was four, she was diagnosed with, um, with autism. And then when she got that autism diagnosis, we were told at that time that she was maybe one of 10 children in the entire world that had a dual diagnosis of both the type of muscular dystrophy that she had, which is congenital myotonic muscular dystrophy, and then also autism. Understanding now there are close to 50 different types of muscular dystrophy. You know, um, ALS, for instance, is a form of muscular dystrophy. Uh, so... But most people think of Deschenes as the most common type of muscular dystrophy that you think about. And I'm now I'm giving you a, a, a long history lesson. Oh, no, continue. Because I, I, this, this, this was, you know, this was my mistake, not yours. Because... No, no, that's okay. But what, what our daughter has done for both my wife and myself mm -hmm. is that, one, it's been a fabulous lesson for us. Uh, and two, it has opened up doors for us to be able to minister to other parents who, when they get that diagnosis, believe me, it is a shock. It is a blow to the system. Sure. Uh, and so, but it's helped us to be able to, to minister to the folks that uh, we're support parents for, for muscular dystrophy association. We're support parents also for the autism society uh, as, as well. So it's, it's been a great way to go out and is, as I like to say, wash somebody else's feet. We all need to learn how to do that. We all need to be make sure that we're servants. Uh, yes. You know, it, it is it is so much better where the, when you're a servant instead of being a me person. Uh, that I just can't tell you, but but Michelle has just been a has been a, a just a, a wonderful wonderful part of our family. I got I have to take her to physical therapy and occupational therapy later on today, as a, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I get to see other families and other kids that are uh, that are there. 
Um, but it's, but she'll always be under our roof. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's blessings to that as well, because I don't have to worry about her driving, which means I don't have to worry about a car or insurance. I never have to worry about her getting married, which means she's never going to stand in front of the entire world and say that she loves a man more than her daddy, which is a blessing. <laughs> so uh, there are there are certain aspects to it where it's a good thing. It's not you know don't always look at the bad things. There are there believe me there are definitely positives to this, and she's a obviously a focal point of of what we do and. Uh, we have have had great family experiences together. And for me, me being blind, I mean, there's some, there's advantages for that that I don't have to drive either. But the biggest thing for me is I get to at least set an example for the people that are not blind, but we're all the same. Oh, no doubt. Uh, it's it's funny. I've got a couple of blind Clemson fans who email with me uh, all the time, and they've been a big help to me in in me describing the game because now i realize you know what uh you as a blind person hear a game completely different than i think that a person with sight does to be perfectly honest with you so the job that we as play-by-play people do trying to paint the picture um is you know is of uh is of importance uh but it also kind of drives that that point home and makes sure that we're I, are we going right to left? You know, is the bottom is the ball on the left hash or the or the right hash? Where's the wide side of the field? Uh, you know, that that kind of stuff. Just just little things that add up to the big things. And for you, when did you? How can I put this? When did you know your faith? was going to be a very important part of your life. Oh, I think that came young. I, I think that, that that came very early in my life, uh, to be to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I would say probably, you know, sometime between the ages of 10 and 12 uh, is when I realized, you know, just how big my faith and what I believe uh, was, was going to play out in my life. Uh, and certainly as as I go on in my life, I, I think it hopefully it gets stronger and stronger and more important and more important. Certainly in times like these that are going through right now. These are uh, unknowns. Yeah, but there, there are unknowns. But I know that I wake each and every day with a, a God who is there to watch out over me and loves me and takes care of me. And but that I am also supposed to honor and serve with with what I do. Uh, and I think that that makes, that makes all the difference uh, in the world that there is purpose, uh, that is there. And that when, you know, when I, if I do, when I reach my point where I am done on this earth and am mm-hmm. on my deathbed, that's not the end the, but my death is actually the reward for where I am going to be. Uh, that is the reward, uh, to yeah. be able for what I believe to spend eternity uh, in the glory of God is one is unfathomable. I, I can't comprehend that. But the joy that is the joy that is going to be there is going to be just unbelievable. I can't even fathom it to be honest with you. Because always, yeah, you know. I mean it's it's uh, it's and I understand that that's not for everybody. I mean I understand that. Sure, I, I understand that that's not for everybody. But um, but it is for me, uh, and and I'm blessed by that. Uh, and hopefully somebody will will hear this even today and 
you know, if they want to reach out, they can, they can reach out. We can, we can talk about it. And I know on one of the podcasts I listened to that you told me that I believe your dad came out to watch you call a game. If my math is correct, I think. Yeah, my uh, passed the, on. If my math is right. Yeah, my dad passed away in in twelve. Mm-hmm. So in two thousand and ten, people people always ask me, you know, what's your what's your favorite call? Well, my favorite call is is when Tyler <laughs> Colvin hit a grand slam home run against Oral Roberts in the first game of a super regional in mm-hmm. 2010 in Clemson. And the reason that that it is, is because it's the only game that I've called where I had both of my parents in the broadcast booth with me. My dad was on my mm-hmm. left. My mother was on my right. I've got a great picture from, uh, from that. And it was awesome. I mean, it was just, Special. it was absolutely awesome to have them both in the booth uh, with me. And it's because of the relationship that I had uh, with my parents. And I really, again, there's another blessing for me. Yep. Every child has that relationship with both their mother and their father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to, to have that. Uh, and I understand that that is a blessing. And I understand that it also that, and like I said, that that's unfortunately, that's not what everybody has gone through. Uh, but, but for me, that was, that's something that's pretty special. I mean, I've been blessed to have my mom around for my 34 years, and I'm still learning from her, even though she's way older than I am. It's a blessing that we get a chance to even learn from our parents. No doubt. No doubt. And, it, and unfortunately for a lot of people, they don't have that opportunity like you just mentioned. They, have, they try to go find it from other, from other places. No, uh, and, you know, as, um, you know, we, the problem in this world is mm-hmm. we have a sin problem. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the problem. Let that's me tell you something. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, the problem in this world is that we have a sin problem. Amen. Uh, in this world. So, uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, the, again, there, there is hope and there is an answer uh, to, to that as well. How much producing do you still use in your broadcast? Because I know you said that you did the on-site engineering with Jim Phillips and Bob Mahoney, who was the broadcast team, and now you still have Bob with you in the booth. Are you? I do. Well, I do all the production for baseball. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't have an engineer that travels with me for baseball, so I do okay. all the production okay. for uh, for baseball. Obviously, for football and basketball, I'm blessed with a guy named Ben Milstead, who is our on-site producer and engineer. Uh, and he's great. He's absolutely great at, at what he does. Uh, and so that is a blessing to, to have him. Although, you know, I, I will, if he needs me to help him set up and that kind of stuff, I'm more than willing to do that. Still know, I still know enough about it to how to operate all the equipment and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that, again, that's important. If you're going to be a broadcaster, you mm-hmm. need to know it all. And I always tell that to, to students that come to me now, you know, about how do, how do I get into this? Well, you need to know it all. You need yeah. to know. You need to know what, what a producer does, what an engineer does. You know, you need to know how to, how to operate all the equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, need, you know how to, and I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Uh, and I think I learned that in, in college. You know, I, I took photography classes. You need to know how to operate a camera, both a still and a video camera. You need to know how to edit then. You need to know how to, how to go about and edit all that. You need, you need to know how to, audio edit you need to know how to visually edit you need i mean you just got to know it all because that will that will deepen i think 
one, your appreciation for what you're doing, and then also deepen your appreciation for what others are doing, particularly in the social media world that, that we live in. And you have more tools in your toolbox, so when you apply for these jobs, you are more diverse than a lot of other people who are just doing one thing. For you're me, more I'm, valuable. That was that was the thing that got me hired at Clemson. Sure. It's because uh, when I went through the interview process mm-hmm. uh, with them, when they when the guy called me and said, hey, would you be interested in coming and talking with us about it? So I went to but all of a sudden, the experience that I had and all the different things that I could do, um, that made me that made me more valuable uh, to them. So um, that that was one of the, the one of the reasons I think that that I got hired uh, at Clemson to do what I did. I'm pretty much a one man band when it comes to my high school broadcast, as you probably have heard. I pretty much have my own laptop and all that. But the biggest thing for me. I know you don't use these guys quite often, but how often do you use aspires and how do you find the people that you want to spot for you at a football broadcast? Because I know you don't have it in basketball, but I know you probably have it more yeah. in football or where you're sitting. Yeah, and it was funny. When I uh, took over the play-by-play role at at, um, at Clemson, Eli right. Gold at Alabama called me and he said, hey, I want you to come to Birmingham. Let's spend a day or two together. And I just want to talk to you about what, what you're about to step into. I think that, that Eli, uh, I think that he kind of, he, he foreshadowed or, or knew even more so than I comprehended right. about maybe where Clemson was headed and where this was, how they were going to get to the forefront of, of college football. So I went down and spent a couple of days uh, with Eli. And, and one of the things that he, the first thing that he told me, he said, listen, you better have yourself a great spotter and a great statistician. He said, those two guys that are, that are going to be right there with you in your booth are going to make you so much better. It's not even funny. And so um, that's exactly what I've done. And I try to stay with the same spotter and the same statistician. Now that's changed a little bit right. because with the addition of Tim Beret now to our football and uh, basketball Tim, and bat, well, Tim was doing basketball with yeah. Jim. Yeah, uh, for you know all those years, so I knew there. But but to have him now in the football uh, booth with us, you know, he is. We affectionately call him Clemson Google, and <laughs> but he has all these numbers and all of these, all of these notes that are just running in his head, and it's from forty years of of doing the press guides, you know, of of just going through and you know he not only does he write him, but then he has to go back through and proof them and edit them. And so he knows everything. He knows all the numbers uh, and he can just spit out numbers to you during the game. And he, he keeps, he actually keeps his, um, a live stat sheet that he's writing down as the game's going on in front of it. And there are times when, you know, everybody thinks, well, was well, there electronically for you, but there are times when the electronic stats mess up. Exactly. And they're keeping it and he can, he actually goes and corrects, goes and corrects the stats. Uh, they're on for home games and sometimes even at away games. But, um, you know, to have, have somebody like him in the booth and then Sanford Rogers is a guy that is my spotter. He's invaluable to me. And I, I can't tell him I, I've told Sanford this many times. He makes me so much better. It's not even funny. I mean, it really isn't. It's, it's not even funny. Obviously in basketball, you're only keeping up with about 12 or 15 guys uh, that you're doing, but you know, in football, you know, my spot board usually is, is covered up with, you know, 44 to 52 on the offensive side and the same thing over on the defensive side for each team. 
So you're keeping up with all with a lot of people, uh, and it's it's one of the things that uh, you you've got to have. It's 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 just very difficult to do with without a spotter. There are sometimes too with the new uniforms. Uh, you don't see this obviously, but uh, but with the new uniforms, there are sometimes when these teams wear uniforms where you just can't you can't tell numbers. I mean, can't read the impossible. can't read number can't read no. numbers. Get color color block color blot out, and then when you try to look at the numbers, yeah. there's another color on top yeah, of that. Then they may then they may have a logo of what they are. Maybe they have a sponsorship tag underneath that. So it's kind of yeah. hard to keep up with it all. Yeah, it's now the obviously the advantage that I have at Clemson is I know Clemson like the back of my hand because I go to most every practice. Coach Sweeney is a lot. I worked for Coach Sweeney for four years on his staff from ten to fourteen before I moved over to the play-by-play side of, of stuff. And, and, uh, but to be able to go into every practice. And so, you know, I know them like the back of my hand and I can almost, I can actually on Thursdays, they run through a mock first 10 plays of what they're going to run. Right. And so I go and they run it twice on Thursday. So I make sure I'm in the building for that. So I kind of see, okay, this is what they think is going to be successful. Here's what they're going to run. Um, and that, that also comes in obviously very handy to me as well. When you work with Coach Sweeney before you came to the PXP booth, how much of that do you take from when you work with him to now upstairs? And plus, when you're doing your pregame and chat, I don't know what day you guys had that scheduled, but how much of an invaluable resource was that working under Coach on the field and taking well, it, it to the booth? The, the relationship stand uh, is what it I – mean, it just – it changed our relationship is what it did. Okay. Uh, and relationship is everything. Did I mean, you know him? Relationships are everything. I, I knew him, obviously, before uh, I was doing uh, – when when Jim passed away yep. in, in three, Dabo mm-hmm. had just first showed up here as an, a wide receiver coach for Tommy Bowden that, that year in three. Mm-hmm. So then uh, – so I uh, – Starting in, starting that football season, that, that third week of the football season, I started hosting the, the head coach's radio shows. Mm-hmm. So I would now was hosting it for Tommy Bowden. At that time, basketball-wise, was hosting it for Oliver Purnell. Sure. That changes your relationship now with those people and the people that are on that staff. I mean, it just does. Uh, and so it allowed me to grow much, much closer. And then, obviously, when Coach Sweeney took over midway through the 08 portion of, of the year, Mm-hmm. Uh, on an interim basis, you know, I'm, I'm with him for those six weeks hosting his radio show. And that changed our relationship even more so. Uh, and we were actually on a plane in, in spring of 2010. He was complaining about, you know, obviously he was, uh, was the head coach. And he was complaining about just some stuff. And, and um, our athletic director was on the plane uh, with us and uh, assistant coach and, and me and, and Coach Sweeney. Right. And, they were talking about it and I finally looked and I said, well, you, you know what, what you're talking about is that you need somebody that knows the local media, knows what your schedule is, you know, understand the, the, the time demands that are on you. And that, so you need somebody like that to help you manage your calendar, manage your speaking engagements, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so we had that conversation about six weeks later, we were on a plane once again together and, and he was bringing up – I looked at him and I said, Coach, I've already told you, you know, what you need, blah, 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 blah. You need somebody that knows the local – I said, you need me is <laughs> what you need. And um, so then three weeks, four weeks later, he – I was actually – I was – it was in um, 
the first day that I arrived in Omaha for that 2010 College World Series, I was walking onto the practice field to talk with our baseball coach, Jack Leggett at the time. Yeah. And my cell phone rang and it was Dabo Sweeney. And I looked at my phone up, what is he calling me? And I answered and he, he said, I'm calling your bluff. He said, I want to hire you. And so uh, we started the paperwork while I was actually in Omaha, Nebraska at the College <laughs> World Series for my hiring process uh, to come and be part of his support staff. Okay, you brought up Jack Leggett. I know Coach Corbin from Andy Baseball brings up Jack Leggett. Right. What was he when you took over oh, the baseball broadcast Jack. with Coach Leggett? What did he bring to you as a broadcaster before you took over full-time? What was he like? Uh, he was great. Obviously, when I, was, when I first came on board – uh, you know, it was when Jack has, had just started to take over the program from Bill Wilhelm. Right. Uh, so, you know, going back to the mid nineties now, when I'm first, when I'm first showing up in, in 95 was really my first contact with, uh, with Jack as far from baseball was concerned and, and engineering baseball pro, uh, broadcast at that time. Yeah. But he was awesome. I mean, he, he <coughs> welcomed me in. I was from, I went to Appalachian state, obviously he went to Western Carolina. So I saw him coach and actually called games at, at Appalachian State, where he was coaching Western Carolina. So I knew about Jack Leggett but from that App State-Western Carolina rivalry. Um, so I, we kind of knew a little bit about each other and uh, that kind of stuff. But, no, Jack Jack was awesome. Jack is the ultimate competitor. Uh, you know, he's he's very much a, a kind of a – I would call him a machismo kind of guy. He's, he's the one that thinks that you, can, that you can gut things out, that you can try to will things uh, into happening, that you need to be tougher – uh, than, than the other side. That that's who Jack Leggett uh, is, and and but Jack was wonderful to work with. I mean, he was, uh, and he but very very loyal, very very loyal to his players, to his staff, and to those people who were able to have fingerprints on his program. Who were your favorite coaches from the opponent side that brought something to you? And when you have crossed paths with these coaches in football, basketball, baseball. Well, obviously, anytime you can hang around Bobby Bowden, it's a pleasure. I mean, Bobby, Bobby, Coach Bowden is he's awesome. I mean, just just uh, just a, an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to know Mark Fox, the now the basketball coach at Cal. Yeah. I've gotten to know him because he has his son plays for Brad Brownell uh, at, uh, at at Clemson. So I've gotten to know him over the years, and then obviously Brad and and Mark were very tight. Anyhow, when Mark was was coaching at Georgia. Yep. So got gotten to know him, uh, you know, a little bit and fairly well. Uh, but a guy like Gary Williams <coughs> at Maryland back in the day was yep. was uh, fun to be around. I've gotten to know Coach Shashevsky a little bit more so early days than than late days. Um, yep. My wife actually had a had a uh, medical thing at Duke, oh and uh, I called. Um, I think what it wasn't. It was a. It was a. She went underwent surgery and that kind of. It wasn't anything life threatening or anything, but uh, something okay. that needed to be done. And so she was in for surgery, and I actually was at App State. I called over to uh, Duke's office at the time and asked if I could come to basketball program uh, practice. And they said, "Well, we'll have to run it by coach." And they called me back. Yeah, we'd be glad to have you show up here at this time. Be here. Somebody will let you in. Sit down. So I got in and sat down and. Coach Krzyzewski actually came over. He knew what was going on with Elizabeth. He knew who I was, called us both by first name. Uh, that, you know, and this was, this was like uh, early 90s, I guess. So that put, 
it's, I guess it was late eighties. Uh, so that may, you know, I was still relatively young. So that definitely made a, an impact on me. Um, but guys like Bobby Crimmins, Kevin Cantwell at, at App State, Mac Brown, uh, to this day, Mac's first head coaching job was in 1983 at Appalachian State. Uh, so that was his first head coaching job. He was there only for a year. But Mac and I, to this day, still t- stay in touch. Um, my roommate and myself, we hosted a Mac Brown radio show on the student radio station. That was Mac Brown's first ever radio show that he did. Really? And we hosted that for a, for a period of weeks. And Mac basically gave us carte blanche. He was the one that uh, – that allowed us to start broadcasting App State football as students and that kind of he he ran uh, you know blocking for us to make sure that that would happen through the athletic department and so that was a blast um, but it was I mean so those those are some of the guys but Mac probably uh, if I had to tell you Mac Brown would probably be the, the one non Clemson guy that I probably have stayed in touch with as much as anybody. What about the most recently retired from Florida State, Mike Martin, in his four decades? Yeah, I got to know you know got to know Mike a little bit, not a ton, because obviously the only times we'd see him was when we were around. But you know, Mike's a legend. I mean, just a just a an absolute legend. And and I could tell you the Clemson rivalry, uh, you know, with with obviously with what Clemson baseball has been and what Florida State baseball also has been. Uh, it's been a been a ton of fun to be around those series, and there's usually always been a lot on the line when those two teams meet. And what is it like? for the Palmetto State rivalry when it's Clemson, South Carolina. When did you get your first taste of it? And in your opinion, what is that rivalry like? And what is it now, in your opinion, feel like it's becoming? Uh, well, I, my first taste of it was as a kid uh, watching the catch by Jerry Butler. That was in 77, I guess. Is that right? 77 or 78? Something like that. Uh, so, so that's when uh, that was my first just watching that uh, as a 16 year old kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that was my first taste of it. But then my first real entry into it was certainly here at Clemson uh, was would have been in 94. I wasn't there at the game, but just being on air with with Jim doing uh, pregame and postgame. Uh, then my first time where I was actually stepped foot into it would have been uh, then in the in the late 90s being there at the game uh, and seeing it. And now it's grown into, I mean, it's a beast. Now, obviously, when Coach Spurrier was there and they were they were in the top ten, Clemson was in the top ten, it was awesome because there was there was so much on the line in football, but it's always been that way for baseball. Basketball has, has had its moments as well, uh, where both teams have been, you know, top 25 teams, and so it's, it's meant a lot there. Uh, the baseball series is called the best rivalry in all of college baseball, and I really do believe that it is that. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of fun to to be there in in that atmosphere, and that's that's one of those where we've already talked about this, but there's more juice to it. There's just mm-hmm. is there's more juice to it. There's more meaning to it, and it's it's twenty four seven three sixty five here in this state. Believe me. What sold you to Clemson? What sold you on Clemson that did that? It would be your home, or did you have another college in mind when you wanted to get into the PXP side, or did it matter at the time? And Clemson just came on your radar. No, this was this was always. Um, um, I guess what put it on my. I guess I shouldn't say it was. Was it a goal from the time that I first got into broadcasting to be at Clemson? No. Okay. Was it a goal for me to be at a major college? Yes. Okay. Uh, so then, when would I? 
I guess when I kind of realized that maybe Clemson could be something for me is when I came to work uh, for the network in the, in the mid to late nineties. Um, and then obviously when Jim passed away, yeah. I was one of two people that they, that they interviewed for the job. I didn't get it uh, at that time, but still obviously stayed involved uh, with, with Clemson. And you know what, that was probably good for me to be honest mm-hmm. with you, because um, it made me, made me a little bit more hungry. It also taught me to, uh, I went to work for myself, uh, even though I was a contract, was part of the contract labor for what Clemson was doing. But um, it was good, and it taught me some more things. And so by the time that, and, and to be honest with you, when they offered to move me over to play-by-play position for football, um, yeah, I was actually in the summer of 13, I thought my time had passed me because I was over 50, Right at the time, and this is a young man's. It's a young man's business. It's not a. It's not a an older man's business. But sure. I was in the right place at the right time. Had the right relationships, and that's what. That's what. As much as anything, the relationship that I had with Clemson sold me on it. As as my, and now I'm in. I mean, I'm all in. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I love what I'm doing. Um, they made me an honorary uh, alumni this this past. Um, this past February, really? that was they caught me completely flat-footed when they did that at a basketball game. Uh, so uh, I'm now an alum. Of How about that? I, I love that. I mean, I, I I love my alma mater, App State. Don't get me wrong. I, I love everything about App State and try to do as much for them as I as I possibly can. But uh, I will I will tell you that uh, I got the orange running through my veins now. Did you work with Dave Jackson at App State? Uh, yeah, David was uh, known. Have known David for a long time. David was a was a couple of guys behind me, but uh, we okay. stayed in touch. He now works for the Chamber of Commerce there uh, in the Boone area, and we still stay uh, stay in touch. But yeah, I, I knew knew David, and obviously David has that legendary call when App State upset Michigan. Mm-hmm. So for you, I think you did women's basketball first. I think it comes in, yeah, right? I did. I've done. I mean, I've done it all. So I uh, did women's basketball for a, for a long period of time uh, at at Clemson and uh, Jim did it all. You know, Jim did it all uh, back in the day. He did women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, football. Uh, you know, so he, he did it all, but he loved it. He loved it. And, and he taught me that. And that's the reason uh, that I, I kind of love what I do now. You know, a lot of, a lot of the guys in our business don't do the major three sports, football, basketball, and, and baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, there's just a handful of us that do, but I, but I love doing all three and wouldn't have it any other way. So for you, when you finally hang up the headset and you're done with this broadcast thing, what would you like Clemson fans and even non-Clemson fans, coach to coach around the world, what would you like for people to remember Don Munson for? Oh, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever thought about that. I would hope that maybe people in the profession thought that I did my job well uh, and, and maybe even did my job better than well, to be perfectly honest. I, mean, I think all of us kind of want that. Sure. Um, but uh, but I, I really hope that more that more than that, that they know that I was a good husband uh, to my wife, Elizabeth, that I was a good father to my daughter, Michelle, uh, and that I represented Clemson in the manner that all of them could be proud about. And those are the things um, – that uh, I guess that and uh, that they know also about my faith uh, that they, mm-hmm. that they know, Hey, this was a man that, 
that had a strong faith uh, in his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And um, those would those would be the things that that I hope that uh, when I'm done, uh, that that people will say about me. How do you balance doing your game prep to getting yourself some family time when you know it's a game week? <laughs> That's, and, a, and, that's a great question. And how, and how do you mentally keep yourself sharp while you're trying to do all that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, but that's it. I think that's, I'm an employee of the athletic department. So I think that's an advantage to me that, that I go into the office, you know, every day uh, that I can, that I'm, that I'm there. And I can, so that gives me time to focus on what my job at Clemson is and then not have to necessarily bring that home to the house. Uh, that I that I can get my work done for my broadcast while I'm at the office, and that when when my work is done, that I can come in and not carry that through the front door uh, into the house and and try to be. Now, obviously, you know, uh, football season is its own beast. But then you start getting in, you get hit that month of November, uh, December, January. For me, obviously, the last several years where those seasons have crossed with basketball. And then once February hits, then all of a sudden basketball and baseball begin to cross. So my wife and I, we can only tell, particularly once we hit that, that February to June stretch, you know, she said, well, I'll see you sometime in June. Uh, because there are a lot of nights, obviously, when I'm doing baseball games and away from the house. But, uh, so I try to spend a little bit more, maybe some morning time at the house uh, with the wife and child and, and try to balance it there. And then making sure that when it comes vacation time, that we as a family unit get away and uh, we go and plan and do things. My girls love the beach. So we usually end up spending some time at the beach. My mother being from Montana has taught me a love of the West. And so I love going in and I still, my, my uh, relatives are out West in Montana's and Seattle uh, area of Washington state. So um, about once every four or five years, we'll go out that way for a union with, with them and, and have a blast. So those are, those are things I need to make sure that, and when we take vacation, it's usually a 10, 12 day uh, getaway um, in good times, good times. And for, you know, that's a good thing because you need it because you've been working like football, basketball, baseball. How do you, how do you, when you deal with all three and you know you have to be sometimes two places, sometimes three places at once, how do you determine which ones you can and which ones you can't get? Well, I think what, what we do at Clemson is that the season that you're in always takes precedence. So if there's a crossover for, with basketball and football, if there's, mm-hmm. if there's a conflict, football will always take precedence at that time. And then when we get to basketball season, then so that's the way we do it. So there's, there's a formula for that. Like I said, mm-hmm. we, we've kind of have developed a, a formula for that. And I've, we've got guys that are part of the broadcast team that get like William Quackenbush uh, is a guy that usually fills in for me for men's basketball or baseball. Right. And he, he does an outstanding job. Uh, and he, he, in his own right, is going to have his own gig here at, at some time uh, right. in the not too distant future. Uh, he's going to have his own, his own play-by-play gig sure. uh, that, that he's doing. And um, but so there, there's a formula and the relationships that you have there that, that make it Really, for us, I think very easy at Clemson. And what are your vital tips for broadcast relationships or relationships in life? How do you keep them cultivated 
And if it's starting to erode, how do you feel like you can repair it? Well, I will tell you that the further that I go in life, the more I realize that relationships are everything. I've had probably in my lifetime, I've had maybe nine to 12 different jobs. I could, I need, at some point, I guess I should count it up and see if <laughs> somewhere in the neighborhood of nine or 12 different jobs. Good number. Let's just be, let's only, just know that. Yeah. Only two or three of those jobs have I ever applied for. The other ones have been people contacting me and say, Hey, we have this open. Would you be interested? My very first job that I got at, uh, out of college was that way. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I had gotten married two weeks after we, after I graduated from Appalachian State. She still had another year to go at App. So we got yep. married. I didn't have a job, right? Which I don't okay. recommend, by the way. We got married. I went on a two week, we went on a two week honeymoon. And then we came back and we're at her, at her parents' house for about a week. And then we moved her back into student housing right. in Boone. And that night that we were moving here in student houses, when a friend of mine called me from the radio station there in Boone and said, hey, our sports director walked out. If you're here tomorrow, I'll introduce you to the general manager, and I bet you we can get you this job. And that's the way that it happened. So relationships are everything, and they're more and more important. So that would be the first – and that, that's something I tell people that either I uh, – student groups that I speak to all mm-hmm. the time, that's the first, first important thing is – relationships because relationships are going to get you further and further in life. They just are. They're going to open doors for you. Uh, people that know you and know you what your work is are absolutely going to open doors for you. The secondly is something we've already covered is yep. know your stuff, know everything that you need to know because it makes you more valuable to a potential employer. Mm-hmm. So know, know every, know everything about it. Don't be afraid to dive into stuff and learn stuff uh, and learn how, how to do things because it just makes you more valuable. And sometimes you've got to go back and give yourself a refresher course on some of that stuff. So be willing to do that. Um, you know, be willing to, to be able to, to go in and, and back and do that. So those are the two, those are the two things that, that – and then the other thing is just – I guess the third thing is just make sure that you're presenting yourself in a, in a professional manner – at all times, and it's particularly in the social media world, yes, understand sir. that what you type, and before you hit send, you better hope that it's something because it's going to live forever. Yep. It's not going away. It's going to live forever. Make sure that you're all right with what you're about to. But I, believe me, there have been many times that I have typed something and about hit send, and I've decided, nope, not doing that, and have erased it, uh, and haven't done it. So uh, you need to you need to make sure that though, that that you're doing all those things. Now, I know you said that you and your wife were college sweethearts and you met in college, but was it one of those love at first sight things or did it take a while to progress to where it got? Well, we, we actually met in high school. Uh, really? So, yeah, we met my junior year of high school. Oh, my. Uh, my family had just moved to Hendersonville, North Carolina. My dad had, had taken an associate pastor's job at the church where my wife's family went. So she'll tell you, and she'll tell you this honestly, the first time that she met me, she didn't like me at all. She thought that I was pretty arrogant, pretty pompous, obnoxious, you know, all of, all of that. So, uh, of course. Uh, and I actually dated one of her best friends oh, uh, for, for what, a girl that ended up being her roommate in college. Oh, man. Uh, we started dating my senior year of high school. 
and we dated uh, for for five years before we were before we were married. So we've been married now thirty five years, but we've been dating for forty. And, how about uh, that? Yeah. So that's how that came about. And the thing the thing is, when you say, you know, don't be married and don't have a job, how did you guys manage with basically living <laughs> off of bologna sandwiches and whatever that you now, could get, maybe some top ramen. <laughs> Yeah, I had put away a little something, so I, I at least had a little bit of money uh, put away. That that certainly helped us, was advantageous to us early on in life. My, my first job in 1984 only paid me $210 a week. Holy so, cow. Uh, so, but again, this is 1984, so mm-hmm. money was a little different in 1984 than it is, than it is today. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been good. It's, it's been a, it's been a great journey with her uh, by my side. Did you just feel like you had an idea that she was the one, or did you, or did you have oh, to do a little I bit of convincing? I would, I would say that probably, you know, once you're, I mean, even even in college, I think once you're into a relationship, two three years down the road, that I think both of you are kind of figuring it out. But I, I would say, uh, it was. I would say probably my junior year, her sophomore year in college is when it really all came came to fruition. I mean, I, I went and bought the ring way ahead of time. Didn't didn't tell her, you know, I didn't didn't tell her family. Matter of fact, I was on a we spent a whole weekend together skiing, water skiing on a lake here, and I had the ring and everything, knowing that I was going to do it the following week, and I didn't say a thing to her parents or anything. So I I kind of knew, and uh, I, I you know. Anytime that you get down, but I would tell you to, to the male of the species, anytime that you get down on a knee and are about to ask somebody to marry you, you better have a good inclination of, of what the answer is going to be. You don't want to necessarily be surprised. Although I'm the one that's in every sports arena when they do that on the screen, when the, right. when the proposal, I'm the one that's, that's yelling out, say no, say no. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, wait, are you are you are you saying that in your head? Are you actually saying that off air at a commercial break? No, I I, I say I yell it out. <laughs> my wife hits me all the time. <laughs> oh my, oh boy, you 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 you're that guy that basically screams out in front of everybody. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm that you're guy. That guy. I was believe me. And oh I was one of the most obnoxious fans that you will ever be around in your life. I mean, I no. I was obnoxious. No, you in college, really? But it was a lot of fun. Our no. our, our basketball coach at App, I he actually used to give me about twenty tickets to every road game uh, when I was in, when I was at school to bring me and my buddies because he knew we would be rowdy in a visitors uh, in a visitors uh, gymnasium, and we were. And, and we loved it. What's it like when you can go into somebody else's backyard and shut their fans up? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's now App State, you understand, didn't win all the time. Exactly. So, you know, it wasn't like you were traveling with Kansas or North Carolina or Kentucky. You were mm-hmm. traveling with Appalachian State, you know. So uh, <laughs> there were times when you took over the place and there were times when you got taken over. So, uh, uh, it, but it was fun. I mean, it was it was it was it was a lot of fun uh, from from that standpoint. It seems like you've been a small town guy pretty much your whole life. I would think, and I guess. Yeah, I grew up in Montreat. I call Montreat, North Carolina home, even though I was born in Atlanta. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but we, my folks built a house in Montreat. We use it as a, in 1962, the year I was born, yes, sir. we use it as a summer residence. And, uh, that's really what I, where I call home. We moved there full time when I was 10 and, uh, lived there, um, until I got married. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, no, it's, it was so Montreat didn't have a stoplight. It had a gate at a stone gate that you came through, it used to be a manned man gate that you had to get in and out. It's not manned anymore. Uh, but, uh, my mother called it the womb because there was one way in and one way out. Um, and, but I had a trout stream right behind my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, you didn't have to lock your car doors. Didn't have to lock your house up. Everybody knew who you were. It was a town of only about three to 400 people, except during the summer, during the summer months, it grew to about 2,500 people because you had so many summer homes that were there, right. but it was awesome. I mean, it was just awesome as a kid to grow up. There was the home of Billy Graham. So you, you know, I got to know the Grahams uh, very well as, as a child and did a lot of things with Dr. Graham that he would do with the, with the neighborhood kids and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So it was a blast. I know I've probably taken up more than your time that I probably, you know, that I know you allotted me, but I thank you for it. It was like a whole bunch we got into. You know, we can do this again, hopefully. Absolutely. You, anytime you need me, I love doing stuff like this. Uh, okay. I, I love, love doing anything, anything, anytime you need me though, uh, more than willing. Thank you, Mr. Munson. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. God uh, bless. Thank you. God bless you as well.